Welcome to the Impressive Digital Marketer Podcast. If you're a brand manager or a marketer, entrepreneur, or you're just interested in everything digital, listen up, because this podcast is for you. We're Impressive, a digital marketing agency in Melbourne. We've put together this podcast to cover some of the most current topics in digital marketing. Every two weeks, we'll be talking about subjects related to SEO, PPC, and Facebook advertising. Some of the industry's experts will be jumping in on the mic for each show with a different set of hosts every fortnight. This podcast is run by you, the listener. So reach out and tell us what you want us to talk about. All right, should we dive into the world of digital marketing? Hello and welcome to the Impressive Digital Marketer podcast. This is episode number 11. And the topic today is storytelling from the big screen to the small screen. I'll be your host today. My name is Anthony Engelman and I'm a digital strategist here at Impressive. And with me, I have a special guest, Mr. Chris Best. Chris, welcome. Thanks, Anthony. Good to be here. Yeah, welcome. So, Chris, what do you do at Impressive? I'm a content specialist, so words and lots of them. <laughs> um, and obviously, you came to Impressive from a background in storytelling. Is that right? Yes. Um, before I was a marketer, I was a journalist for about three, three and a half years. Wow. So I told a lot of stories. Um, my background is in acting and in uh, producing and writing and directing films. So What a double act. <laughs> a slashy, I believe they call them these days. But I am um, here today to talk about how we tell stories here at Impressive and, and what we can see being the big difference in the way that stories are being told these days. And yeah, obviously just to have a bit of a chat and just to help people find out a bit of stuff. So, mate, the first instance, let's get down to some definitions. So in the digital marketing world, what do we actually mean by storytelling? We mean the same thing by storytelling that we've always meant, which is trying to sort of hit upon some kind of universal experience. And, you know, that hasn't changed despite the fact that, you know, we're now doing it through our phones, our computers, um, you know, Internet of Things devices. It's still just sort of about getting a message across and sort of finding some kind of common thread, I think, between two or more people. Yeah, it's communication. Essentially, yeah. look, it's all forms of communication. As humans, we tend to really, we're drawn to stories. Like we're, you know, hardwired to it, it seems like from cave walls to, you know, Samsung G8s. Now it's it's the same, you know, the same problem that we're facing and trying to understand what humanity and what existence is. In your job and in your role here as, you know, a, a copywriter and a content marketer, what's what's the difference between storytelling and content marketing? Or are they the, are they the same? They should be. They're not, unfortunately. A lot of marketers, a lot of companies try to do content marketing without sort of tapping into that rich vein of storytelling. And I think they're all the poorer for it. You need some kind of thread to pull out with your content marketing. Otherwise, you're just putting words on a screen, you know, on somewhere out there. You need to sort of have some kind of emotional connection or some kind of, like I was saying before, that sort of that commonality with your audience. And essentially in what we do, it's about stopping the scroll, right? So it's attention. So it's, you've got to grab someone's attention. And, you know, compared to the old days where, I say the old days, like, you know, people go to the movies these days as well. But in the old days, that was the only option you had for a story to go to a darkened room and you'd sit there and you'd be, you know, a captive audience. Whereas now our attention is so spread that you're not really going to be able to get the right reaction, let alone any sort of, you know, viral type attention that, you know, people seek. Um, 
and targeting, that, that, that's got to be a key thing in the way you do it and the relevance to that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we use a lot of words, you know, um, like targeting and sort of, you know, just a lot of the, the content marketing toolkit. It all sort of just reflects back on like those core kind of concerns about, you know, as you say, grabbing someone's attention, finding some kind of, uh, you know, common ground with people. Like targeting is just sort of a process of sort of whittling down your audience to find the people who are most likely to respond to your message. You know, we, we, we dress it up in a lot of ways and we make it sound very complicated, but really it's just about, you know, imagining the people who are going to be most interested by and responsive to what you have to say. And then tailor it to them. Of course. All right, so with the shortened attention spans that we have to work with and um, obviously the small screens and, and the, the time factor, what, what are some of the ways that brands can tell their story on social media? that actually can really give give them a benefit. You're going to get really sick of hearing me say this, but it, I think it does really come back to relevance and your ability to relate to your audience. An example I always like to give is how different brands, and I, I'd argue that sort of American fast food is somewhat ahead of the curve in this regard, how different brands have changed the way they speak, not just to their audience, but to other brands on social media. If you're of a certain age, you might, you know, have been on Facebook or Twitter like, you know, five to ten years ago and seen people making fun of big corporations trying to use internet memes in their social media presence and it always fell flat. You know, it always came off as very artificial, came off as very, uh, you know, very false, very inauthentic. And obviously, you know, at someone in the marketing department of these big fast food chains was reading all these you know, all this mockery. So what they decided to do was they've obviously just gone and hired a whole bunch of 20-somethings, you know, who would already be spending their whole day on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram, given them the keys to the proverbial car and said, you know, you you, you represent us now, you know. Um, spin the Wendy's brand, spin the Denny's brand, spin the McDonald's brand, however you want, and, you know, we'll make it work. And it's been quite effective, I want to say. If you look up the Twitter accounts of any of those brands I just mentioned, um, Wendy's, Denny's or McDonald's, you'll see that they are writing in the same kind of idiosyncratic style that, you know, a 22-year-old on Tumblr or, or on Twitter would recognize as, you know, very similar to their own. And I think it does work. I mean, it's not the kind of direct marketing where, you know, you click buy now and you immediately sort of then jump through and, you know, put in your order for your next burger. But it does sort of keep the brand on your mind I think like I think it works to sort of humanize them and sort of reduce them down to like a singular entity it's no longer you know Wendy's the gigantic corporation who you know turns over billions each year and has locations in countries around the world it's the Wendy's Twitter guy you know like the people and people refer to these social media managers at these companies not by name because they don't know their name but they refer to them, you know, as individual human beings. And I feel like that's a victory for them because they've succeeded in making that first crucial step on social media, jumping from a faceless corporation to a singular persona. And I think that's very powerful. In storytelling, absolutely, because that's it's empathy, you know, hmm. and, that, and immediately you're drawn to that. It's like seeing pictures on social media of, of, of people like have a much, much greater effect and a greater you know, through line to conversion and engagement because you see people and you like people. And if you're a young person and, you know, you like burgers, 
then you probably want to talk to someone who is kind of like you and kind of likes burgers too and wants to give you burgers and then it's a great relationship. It's a great, it's, you know, it's a great story. Um, one of the stories that, you know, in fast food recently was the um, KFC debacle where they ran out of chicken. Remember I think that? I, yeah, I remember hearing and about that. And they went, they, they went, okay, well, we've, we've dropped the ball here. All right, we've run out of chicken. What's the story? I know what the story is. Someone put their hand up and said, we're not KFC anymore, we're FCK. And it was brilliant and it, and it made this amazing thing like look at KFC laughing at themselves. They ran out of chicken, you know, they sell chicken but they ran out of it and they put their hand up and said, yeah, we, we dropped the ball. And, and I'm sure those buckets will, you know, like be worth, you know, like a lot of money one day to someone or, you know, to a few people that are KFC heads. I mean, I don't really eat the dirty bird myself but I think it's probably very, tastes very nice, you know, especially late at night, you know, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning on the way home after a few frothies. Um, but... I, that story is something that, that remained with me, you know. That, the whole thing is it's it's about tension. It's about being relatable. It's about, you know, I mean, in the big screen or, you know, TV or conventional storytelling, it's about what what are the main characters going to lose and, and, and that's what keeps us drawn to, to watching them because you want to see things, you know, obviously occurring and usually the things that occur are ba- ba- bad things and it's how our lead characters, how our empathetic you know points of view traverse those you know those challenges and if you can nail that in you know like a a little instagram post or a twitter post i mean we don't even really use twitter here much in australia but if you can nail that then you know you're well on the way to becoming you know an authentic voice and that's that's probably one of the main things isn't it really the authenticity yeah i I just want to pull you up on something you said there because it was something really interesting so you see a really strong continuity between the traditional sort of TV and movie storytelling and the, you know, modern, you know, hyper-atomized sort of social media storytelling. Do you mind sort of expanding on that a little no, bit? No, that's really good because, yeah, basically, look, story is, you know, it's something that we've all grown up with. We've all basically we all got told stories when we were kids or at least I hope people got told stories when they were kids. I tell my story, my stories to kids, you know, to, to my kid anyway and to any other kids that will listen. I don't want anyone from child child services calling up impressive and asking what kids I'm telling stories to. But, no, I'm, we all love stories and the way that we, you know, relate to them is something that, yeah, it's, you know, it's obviously something that's intrinsic. You know, I mean, they're recognisable patterns that, that we find meaning in. So, you know, the moral and, and, and that sort of thing, you know, that that's, that's a big part of it. You can compartmentalise what people do in TV and radio and film and things like that into smaller bite-sized versions of it. You know, there's a three-act structure when it comes to telling stories, you know, like the first, the first act is the setup, the second act is the confrontation and the third act is resolution, right? And that is pretty much played out in every fictional story. I mean, even in documentaries, like documentaries follow that story. So just on that, does every organisation have a story to tell? You know, is it, is it just particular industries or can anyone actually become a part of this storytelling movement? Well, I just spent five minutes talking about how a burger place is, you know, killing it on social media. So I really think, yes, everyone has a story to tell and every business has a story to tell. Even if you're, you know, and I, and I hesitate to say just a tradie, if you're just a tradie, you know, it can often feel like you don't have anything to sort of compete with in terms of content marketing. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you do probably the, one of the realest jobs out there. You know, you make something with your hands. And you know, whether you're sort of telling stories of that, taking photos of that, or just, you know, trying to sort of 
position your work as you know being of just an exceptional like level of skill you are you know you are presenting a story and i think there is a story there to be told you know it's about craftsmanship you know it's about sort of attention to detail it's about customer service you know these all sound like sort of very basic kind of points you know very not very sort of unique unique selling points but they're still valuable points to raise as part of your content marketing strategy I mean, when you have clients come in who, you know, say like, oh, you know, I'm not really sure what to sort of um, put up on social media. I'm kind of new to this. I mean, like, what do you tell them? Well, it's a great question, Chris, because um, everyone pretty much is, we're all Australian, most of the businesses we deal with. So we're naturally quite modest about our achievements and about what we do and how we do it. So my job as a strategist is to drag that story out of them. Um, and that can be through a range of reasons. It's like, well, why did you start the business? What were you hoping to do with the business? What did you dream about, you know, with the business? Where do you want the business to go? What's different? You know, these are all the questions that once they're answered, what's different about you and the way you do it? Like, say with the tradie, some carpenters, they're really, really very, very particular about the way they, you know, build what they built. You know, I have a friend of mine and she's got a a furniture making business, you know, like, and she's so busy, so busy. And I keep saying to her because she makes beautiful, beautiful pieces, like one-off custom pieces, you know, out of wood, out of metal. And it's an amazing story, you know, and the fact that what she does is she literally sits down with people and she finds out what their story is. And then she will design a table, design a chair, design a, a bookshelf around what their idea of life is and how their lifestyle is. So she actually tells their story with wood and metal and, and in, in what she does. And I said, well, that's an amazing thing what you do. You know, you should, you know, you should do this on a larger scale. And she's like, I can't because I'm the only one that really can do it. I'm the only one that can tell the story. She can't tell other people how to tell that story. But what I'm saying is that everyone's got that story to tell. It's just about drawing it out of them in the right way. You know, and so I find that, that that's, that's something that it also gets people talking and, and, and opens them up to me as well about what they want to achieve with their, you know, their strategy and their business. And I think in essence, if you're honest, you know, with people like us and, and we can help you, then that's the way forward for your business. And that's the story that, you know, we can help sell. Yeah, that honesty point is absolutely crucial. Like people can smell inauthenticity a mile away. You know, if your friend who I want to just put this on record, like is an artist, like what she does is art, like Mm. in the, you know, capital A sense of the word, like she has, you know, she could have the easiest time on social media. I mean, and that's even before she posts picture one of, you know, any of her creation. She has so many stories to tell. Mm. She has so much to say about, you know, the process, so much to say about, you know, the people she meets. You know, there's just such a rich vein of content to talk about with someone like that. But, you know, even if you aren't, you know, a cabinet maker to the gods, you know, there's still so much to sort of bring out about your own unique story about like how you started your business. You know, as you say, like, you know, no one just starts a business for no reason. No one falls into being a business owner. You know, like what propelled you to get an ABN, you know, buy a shop and, you know, open the door one day? How do you actually, I mean, because obviously in your role, you've got to do a lot of research for a lot of different types of brands. How do you actually manage doing, you know, telling stories for all these different brands at the same time? Research is sort of the the core of it. You know, you have to wear a lot of different hats when you're a content writer because, it, you know, you, you, you get the chance to build relationships with your clients, but at the same time, you can't just sort of work for one. You've got to sort of find your voice for each individual client. And that voice only sort of comes through, you know, very detailed study of what the business is, who are the people who make it up, 
what are their goals, what are their hopes, what are their dreams, what are their fears, all that kind of stuff, you know, and you have to sort of pull something authentic out of all of that. And, you know, it, it takes a while. I mean, I'm not going to, I don't, I doubt anybody who says that they've never had a revision in their life because one, it's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, you know, it's a, a revision is just, you know, another pass that sort of at something it gives you another chance to sort of refine your work you know I, I, I never want to hear about the person who um, got it right on the first try I want to hear about the person who's really worked at something and sort of nailed the voice perfectly yeah, mistakes are a part of learning you know like if you don't like have mistakes then you're not really trying yeah you know exactly and two the the other point is just that you know, revisions are inevitable I mean you know you're coming in from outside this company you're coming in from outside this organization you don't know the territory you don't know the people you know it takes you a while to get to know these people and you know it's a process you have to sort of go through this process of building a relationship and building these connections with people so you can help them build connections with their audience and it doesn't happen overnight yeah i mean are there any tools that people can sort of use for content marketing or storytelling that that you know of yeah you can definitely there are definitely tools you can jump on out there and mostly like the ones that come to mind are Ahrefs and SEMrush, and they can help you find uh, topics and sort of keywords, which can be your tent poles. You know, they can be your sort of like the thing you build the rest of your strategy around. But the sort of the the fluffy, messy, uh, hard bits of actually sort of finding your voice, that's a bit more of an internal process. But, you know, you can find where people are sniffing around. You can find where the traffic's going. And you can sort of like then start to sort of thrust in that direction but you know the the actual sort of process of finding a voice you know uh developing a brand that takes time and that takes sustained sort of internal effort i think yeah and you can't and your voice is not everyone else's voice your voice is different i mean you can take a lot from other people's voices you can certainly listen and look and and read and and take in what other people are doing but at the end of the day you know it's got to come from you and it's got to it's got to be slightly different and unique it's it's what makes you you, you know, it's, it's what's special. So on that, what's the problem with modern day marketing as far as you can say? I do think it's that inability to get personal. I mean, I think that a lot of uh, brands refuse to go through the hard and scary process of putting themselves out there and potentially opening themselves up to criticism, which is all part of, you know, having that conversation with your audience you know, if, um, the, like to go back to the example we had before, you know, all those fast food chains in America, they obviously sort of embarked on this sort of new strategy of, you know, just hiring some 20 year olds and putting them in front of the computer and sort of getting them to talk the way they would to each other, to their audience of millions and billions of people after years and years and years of getting pretty viciously mocked online for being inauthentic and being false with their audience and, you know, trying to sort of uh, well, they weren't being false. They were actually being real. They were being big corporations because they are big corporations. Yeah. But I mean, that's not the real that we want. That's <laughs> not the story that really cuts through. Oh, no. They, uh, this is the part I'm talking about where they were trying to sort of jump on youth culture. You know, a bunch of 40-year-old um, guys trying to sort of uh, reverse engineer what 20-year-olds are saying on the internet. You know, it just didn't didn't come off as as true. And th- that that is what I talk about when I yeah, say it course, was inauthentic. Yeah. 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 So I feel like that is... You know, that sort of defensiveness is a key issue about uh, modern day marketing. Um, They aren't willing to sort of take those big risks. They aren't willing to open themselves up to criticism. They aren't willing to have those conversations with their audience that need to be had 
if they want to stay relevant because people out there are doing it. You know, people out there are risking sort of their brand's credibility in a very real sense by being more authentic and vulnerable with their audience. And the ones that aren't doing it are getting noticed for it. So it really is a matter of playing catch up for a lot of these, these industries. You know, if you're, if, you know, the big players in your industry are sort of taking those risks and you aren't, it reflects poorly on you. It becomes a movement and, you know, you don't want to be a laggard. You want to be an innovator like in any, in any industry because at the end of the day it's about the audience and it's about knowing your audience and how important that is. You know, like well, I spend a lot of time with, you know, my clients and, and, and all the people that come to us talking about the persona of who they are, you know, like and the story within that, you know, what do they do? Who do they, what else are they interested in? Where do they live? You know, what do they do for fun? You know, these are all the questions that I ask because they go to the audience, you know, and a great story, it needs to have an audience. It needs to have a point of view. It needs to have an audience. It needs to stand for something, you know, and that's true from, you know, movies of, you know, years gone by, like in, you know, storytelling in the, in the conventional sense, it's always about the point of view and the best stories are always told from a very specific point of view and they don't deviate from that because at the end when, you know, everything is revealed, that's when, you know, you get that real, you know, that, that real hit, you know, of the, oh, my goodness, you know, like they, they're the great stories that, we, you know, we remember, you know, like from, you know, Seven, you know, with the, you know, what's in the box, you know, what's in the box? Show me what's in the box. You know, like that is an amazing ending to a, to a story, you know, that we all know. And, and you know, that's probably a pretty morbid sort of, you know, story to be talking about with digital marketing. But, you know, what's in the box? What's in the box? Yeah. And that's something I'm, you know, like I think that's a really key thing for me to talk about with people about, well, what, what's the end result? What are they going to get? You know, what's, is it, is it, are they going to buy something? I mean, we talk about the benefits. Good storytelling to me is talking about the benefit and talking about, you know, the aspirational side of, of what you want to achieve with, with your product, with your service, with what you want to do with it um, and making that, you know, three-act structure either in the long form or the short form, making that work for you. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, it's interesting seeing that sort of continuity um, from older style traditional marketing like you know, TV, radio, film advertisement to, you know, this more dynamic and multifaceted and atomized digital marketing. And, you know, when you sort of put them up side by side, it is sort of something I do wonder about, like, have we lost anything moving from that to, to digital marketing? Like, have we, what have we lost and what have we gained, you think? Oh, I think we've lost a lot of patience. I think we've lost a lot of understanding and a lot of, you know, slow burns. That was a term that used to use, you know, used to be used quite regularly with stories, you know, like even with, um, you know, certain things kind of are anomalies, like Game of Thrones. Like I've not actually caught any Game of Thrones. I'm not. I've not watched it. You know, there's probably a lot of people sitting there listening to this podcast, going, "Wow, he's just lost me." I'll back but you I, up. I've only watched a season three. I, I've not watched it, but to me, Game of Thrones, from what I understand, is something you watch 10, 12 episodes before you actually hit upon the real gold. So there's a lot of work in it. One of the greatest TV series ever created was something called The Wire. Have you seen that show? Uh, bits and pieces. One of my roommates was a huge fan of The Wire, so I, I caught a bit through him. So it's from a few years ago, obviously. This was before Netflix. This was before, you know, we had This was old-style HBO, This is old-style. I've, I've got the box set, you know what I mean, like the box set of five DVDs. And 
in the first series, the, each series went through a different sort of area of the Baltimore, you know, drug policing scene and how that affected the community. And it was a, like a really, really well-drawn-out story, huge world that David Simon created. Um, and in the first series, there was one particular very, very tough, tough old cop and he was just, just grisly and just angry and you didn't really know why, um, but he was just a real mean, mean guy. Then right, like I think in maybe even the fifth series, like literally like about 100 episodes after you this, this I guess, little moment had dropped that you sort of go, there's something not quite there that the payoff was there. So for someone to do that is such a such a brave thing to do, to have something drop in like the first series, you know, four episodes in where you kind of twig and go, oh, there's something more there. And then, you know, 50 or 30 or 40 episodes later have that payoff. I mean, that's extraordinary, you know, like because that takes a lot of patience. And I think these days you just wouldn't have that. You know, like people binge watch things, no doubt, but you can't have something, you know, in the first series of a show not pay off in that first series. You know, like these days we don't have the real patience for that. And we, you know, we watch all things in one go and, you know, they, we want resolution. You know, we want that, that ending. I was just thinking about what you were saying about um, having that payoff. And I think the closest sort of modern equivalent we have, it would honestly be the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All my friends know I'm no huge Marvel fan. I've got my little favorite films, but I think it is the closest we've got to something like The Wire or The Sopranos. Uh, where you set up pins, you know, in 2008 that you're knocked down, you know, in 2015 or something like that. And, you know, again, I've got my own misgivings about like the series, but I think it's a really valuable way of looking at how you sort of tie together like a something as large and multifaceted as the universe they've created. And, you know, obviously not everyone is advertising or creating content about a whole bunch of costume superheroes. But it's yeah. funny, they're not real at all, but we love superheroes. Like as humans, we love, you know, someone that's going to come in and save us. It, it speaks to something older than uh, than the heroes themselves. I mean, you know, Superman's been around since, what, the 30s. He's a reference to, you know, much, much older sort of uh, cultural ideas. You know, like he he's the latest in a lineage that stretches back millennia, you could argue. Um, and I have heard people argue. I guess the um the point I'm sort of coming at with this little bit on the MCU is that I think it's a valuable example of how you tie together, you know, something so complex and so broad and with so many individual moving parts. If you think about, you know, the the universe in its entirety, you know, all the movies, all the TV shows, the games, the comic books, um, the merchandise, they all sort of inform each other. And I think like that, not to, you know, be a bit glib, but I mean, that's what we should all sort of really strive for in every sort of campaign we put together, that sort of interoperability and that uh, interconnectedness, I think, that, you know, presents something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, and, and it's not about, I guess, a lot, of the, a lot of the time it's not about what makes them universal, you know, like what actually, I guess, makes the good ones so different from the, the ones that aren't memorable. I, I guess are the, you know, subtle kind of, you know, differences between you know, like the choices, you know, like it's it's really about choices. Like in, in you know, telling stories, you know, you, you have choices all along the way, you know, like and you can decide to go left or go right, you know. We were just talking before off air about Black Mirror, 
about that that TV show, this Netflix show. So the latest incarnation of one of these really, really hard, you know, hard hitting, you know, on the edge of, you know, the cultural zeitgeist type shows, Black Mirror is doing a choose your own adventure episode. That was really surprising for, here for me. Yeah. And it's and I heard about that and I'm like, okay, well that's a really interesting technical, you know, problem and challenge. Um, as well as a storytelling challenge. And the choose your own ending is something that people would, I mean, I used to love them as a kid. I used to read those books when I was a kid, you know, like they, they would literally were choose your own adventure books, but you'd have, you know, does he go here, here, here or here? And then you would go to that page and it would continue on with the story and you felt really, you know, engaged and you felt really invested in the story. And that's really what, you know, great storytelling is, is being invested in it. And nothing invests people like uh, giving them agency in, in the story, you know. And I feel Absolutely. like, yeah, like a great example of that I saw recently from a brand uh, was Spotify. They did this fantastic promotion where they took the ne- the very bizarre names of user created playlists and built ads around them. So you know, where where you or I or you know normal mortals might call you know a, a, the, their Spotify playlists like you know uh, work music or you know favorite Rolling Stones songs, they were sort of pulling out stuff from you know their big database that was like. Global warming is real. Let's dance was the name of one of the podcasts yeah, that have featured in one of the it's ads. Like, look, we're all going to die, so enjoy yourselves. Yeah, Why are you going to exactly. do it? That's a Spotify playlist, you know. And like, and you probably need to work on the titles of your Spotify playlist. For I mean, you use your words really, really well, you know. At the end of the day, stories are you know something that we actually we have to endure, you know, and and we might as well have them. We might as well enjoy them, you know, no matter where they are. And I guess for me, you know, it's about developing that, you know, that brand identity in what we do that will lead to the long-term success of, of, of any brand or any service or any, you know, any particular type of product. Um, we work with a lot of fashion, a lot of, you know, fashion, buy now, buy shop not now. Much, not many better industries for developing that unique voice than fashion. And they need a voice. Like they, they, they're just they're dead in the water without a voice, you know. A dress is just a dress, but you put it on a, you know, attractive model and you put that model in an interesting, you know, background and suddenly this dress is, you know, like everything that every young girl wants, you know, like that's 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 the way you do it with fashion and it's really easy to do it. So in conclusion, it's been a great chat today. I love stories and stories love us. Every brand identity should take the time to create their story, whether or not they put it out there, they should create it. Um, it should always focus on the audience's pain points and their needs should always come first. So that should be what you base your story around. You've got to try and stand out. A cluttered market, stop the scroll, you know, rise above the noise. And I think one of the key things for me is data plus a good narrative will always make a memorable story. You got any quick little tips, Chris, that you think might? might? I'd second all of that, you know. I just want to hammer my favourite anvil that it's all about relevance. You know, find what your, um, as you say, you said find what your audience's pain points are. I say, you know, Make it more broad than that. Find what they love, find what they care about and build content towards that. You know, you'll you'll be onto a winner if you can figure out exactly what your audience is looking for, what they love, you know, what they hate. You know, you'll never the that cash register will never stop opening if you can figure that one out. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Chris. And, Pleasure to be uh, here. I've uh, I've had a ball. Um hope everyone has enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe to iTunes or the Google Play Store and uh, we'll see you next time on the Impressive Digital Marketer Podcast. Have a great day. Thanks very much.